To find a con man, well, you have to follow his trail. So I'm headed to one of his favorite playgrounds, where I'm told Juan Carlos has been many times. There are some places where criminal can feel at home. Las Vegas. It has money, glamour, but nobody is themselves there. You might say it's the perfect place to be a thief. I'm in pursuit of a notorious con man called Juan Carlos Guzman Betancourt, and I'm leaving no stone unturned as I try to find him. Right, so I'm, I've got a, a bolo. Oh, you have a bolo? Yeah. You recognize him? No, what do you do? But while I'm looking, I also want to piece together his life story. I've already learned about his first forays on the wrong side of the law, stowing away and breaking into the US not once, but twice. But Juan Carlos has more in his locker than just immigration crime. And in this episode, I learn about how Juan Carlos makes his money. From What's the Story Sounds, this is Con Juan. Episode 2, Poker Face. Vegas is, well, Vegas. Whether you want Elvis to marry you, to max out your credit card in one of the gargantuan malls, to see a show, to croon in the piano bar, or bet everything you have on Red 11, it's a hotbed of all the good stuff and a healthy dose of the bad too. Las Vegas is the greatest place in the world to be a police officer because it naturally attracts every criminal in the world. You know, it's like if you're going to go fishing, go where the fish are. And that's Las Vegas. It, it just attracts every type of criminal. That's Kirk Sullivan. You'll get to know him quite well across this story. Imagine an old-school, no-nonsense Las Vegas cop, just in T-shirt and shorts rather than a uniform. And that's Kirk. I reached out to him early in my journey because Kirk, like my ex-detective friend Christian, is a man pretty much obsessed with Juan Carlos. And he invited me out to Las Vegas to understand why. But before that, he wanted to show me around. The strip is Las Vegas Boulevard. South Las Vegas Boulevard and North Las Vegas Boulevard, but it's all Las Vegas Boulevard, and it used to be the main highway to California. The Flamingo, it'll be the Tropicana. You know, those are the, the old ones that are still here. You can play penny slots and get a $15 room and go in there and sit and smoke and play for three days straight and never run out of money on the, on the penny slots. Or you can go lose your house in five minutes. When they built the Bellagio, you couldn't go in there unless you had a suit and tie on. Well, I'm glad they've changed that rule because I've not got one. So, I mean, the view is just massive, gleaming, high-rise, I guess, what, are they all hotels pretty much? Yeah, so the, these that you're seeing are during the mega resort. Jeez, I feel like a, a tour guy. Okay, yeah. Kirk hadn't invited me here to give me a history of the Vegas Strip. He wanted to talk to me about Juan. And perhaps inevitably, Juan came into his life because Kirk was dealing with criminals every minute of every day. I'm intolerant of being bored. And the average number of calls a police officer in Las Vegas takes is 17 a day. Back in the early 2000s, he was a part of the Las Vegas Police Department. His job was to police the many hotels located along the famous Las Vegas Strip. 
you're busy every second of every hour of every shift. And I enjoyed that. There are 150,000 rooms across hundreds of hotel resorts on the Strip. And these aren't your average overnight lodgings. They're definitely distinct from the London haunts I'm more used to. Suites as big as swimming pools. Swimming pools as big as football fields. And there's a clear hierarchy when it comes to luxury, with a handful vying for top spots. The Vegas Canon, if you like. The Wynn, the Bellagio, the MGN Grand, the Four Seasons. In these highest of high-class hotels, well, you can expect all manner of the rich and the famous. Celebrities, uh, we've, I've seen them, seen them all almost. Uh, sports celebrities, musicians. That's Robert Coburn. In 2001, he was the duty manager at Vegas's famous Four Seasons Hotel, one of the jewels in its crown. I mean, I, I do remember like Mick Jagger when he came in. Musicians like Shakira, they expect the best, the best. So when I talk about the best, celebrities who come in, Mick Jagger, we knew what he drank. We knew when his birthday was. They expect the best, you're paying the best, so we're gonna give you the best. The personal touch didn't just extend to celebrities. In fact, Robert told me that every guest at the Four Seasons was given special treatment. And one of those was a British businessman called Daniel Gold. Spent half my life in America. Going to America is like you're sort of, you know, popping out for a pizza in London. It was just what we do. Daniel is a tall, rather imposing man. He's wealthy, of course, and successful. He's used to traveling the world. But while most of his trips were for business, this particular one was a family holiday. There was no science behind any of this. We were doing renovations on our house at the time, so we took an extended trip, and that was, that was really it. But because we had all the builders in the house and we weren't there, we took everything with us, which in our world, it was, it was easier. The Golds weren't travelling light. Bag after bag was filled with everything that they might need, and plenty more besides. You know, my wife travels with a lot of stuff to start with, so it, it was like, you know, with three kids, a nanny, me, it was like probably ten suitcases. And, unusually, they decided to take all their valuable jewellery in their cases. If you go on holiday, you know, you might take a couple of watches, not every watch you own. You might take a couple of pieces of jewellery, not every piece of jewellery you own. It's, nobody does that. It just happened that it was all, you know, my wife's very, very orderly. So everything was in little cases. So, you know, you're sitting there and actually to take the stuff out of all the little cases, to move them all into other little cases, then put the little cases somewhere else. It was easy to just take all the little cases. So the Golds had hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of valuables with them. After all, safer to have it in your possession than left at home with builders in and out of the house. And they were going to be staying at the luxurious Four Seasons Hotel, where security came first. The Four Seasons is the Four Seasons because it's the Four Seasons. There's a natural expectation. You know, it's a magnificent hotel with magnificent, you know, finishes, magnificent quality, and that's what you go, you're paying for. And security is a given. You don't ask when you walk in how's the security. It's just, it's a given. Or at least you think it is. What Daniel hadn't banked on, though, was the presence of Juan Carlos Guzman Betancourt. Now in his 20s, Juan watched Daniel as he made his way through the hotel lobby. I remember Mr. Gold. 
he came with the wife in a cotton bathrobe as he entered the spa. I saw them go in. They talked with the girl at the spa reception and she guided them inside. From his vantage point in the lobby, Juan had watched the golds closely. He knew they were the wealthy couple from one of the best suites. Now, he just needed to make sure they weren't coming out of the spa anytime soon. So then, I picked up a phone in the hallway and called the spa reception. I told her that I had to pass them a message. She says, you'll have to wait, they already gone inside. I asked her how long until they finished, and she told me that they were going to be the rest of the morning until 1pm. So, with that information, what do you think I am going to do? I went to the reception and asked for their room key. Yes, I remember a man came to me at that day. Um, I was at the front desk. That's Robert again, who was duty manager that day. He walked up to the front desk. I think he was in shorts and t-shirt. I can't remember exactly what he was wearing, but when he walked up, just like every other guest, good day, good afternoon, sir, how may I assist you? As he walked up, hi, I'm Mr. Gold, and I need my key. Okay, Mr. Gold, uh, may I see your identification, please? Sure. Robert Coburn was doing his job, but that didn't faze Juan. Sometime between seeing the Golds on the way to the spa and presenting himself at reception, Juan Carlos had created a fake ID in the name of Daniel Gold. He'd gone back to another hotel room, printed it off, laminated it, and returned in a matter of minutes. He hands it over. I look at it, verify it, verify it, look at the information on the, the computer, and then make the key. Thank you, sir. I looked at the ID, good, and he was on his way. And it was quick. Thank you, sir. Juan presented the ID with an air of confidence. He gave Robert no reason to doubt it. And how was Robert to know if the ID was real or fake? Now, remember, we have IDs from all over the world. All over the world. Does it have all the correct information? Does the picture look like it's skewed? Or anything like that. So I'm looking at that. And I did not see anything that was out of place. Armed with a key to the gold suite, and knowing they weren't at home, Juan made his way up the stairs. When I entered the suite, the suite was divided. You enter through the front door to the living room. On the left side is the master bedroom. On the right side, I could hear voices of children and a woman. So I go out, I take the phone from the corridor just in front of the elevators, I telephone the suite, nine and the number of the room, and the nanny answers. Then I told her that Mr. Gold has said to please take the girls to the pool. Juan sat back and waited, and sure enough, the nanny soon emerged with two children in tow. I remember that. She came down. I was sitting in some chairs outside the elevator. She passed at a normal pace, holding the two girls by the hand. And then I entered the suite again. Everything was going according to Juan's plan. He was inside the room. But what he wanted was to get inside the safe. But Juan Carlos does things a little differently. 
he didn't bring tools to force his way inside. He simply rang reception and asked for some help. Mr. Gold, he just was here at the front desk. He used to get his safe open. Security doesn't know anything better. They're doing their job, you know? So they're going up there and they're opening the safe. Two security people came up. They wore a gray and dark black suit and told me to please sign a paper authorizing them to open the safe. I put a signature there. They do not look at that. In a matter of minutes, they opened the safe. They apologized, they left, and that was it. It was all too easy, like you wouldn't believe. In the space of just a few minutes, Juan Carlos had identified a victim, conned a hotel manager, entered the room of Daniel Gold, called security, and fooled them into opening the safe. It was shortly after, maybe minutes, when the crap hit the fan, you know, managers are up there, general managers there. You know, uh, security first got to let everybody know what's going on, what happened, who was the last one, who gave him the key. We came back up to the room and I remember rightly, my phone wasn't on my phone charger. And I yelled to my wife, can't believe she's unplugged my phone. Within 20 seconds of that conversation, my wife, who fastidiously uses the safe and everything, goes, I can't open the safe. And I'm like, you know, and then you have the usual husband-wife banter where, you know, you're an idiot, you didn't think about what code you put in. She's like, I'm telling you, I know what code I put in, the same code I always put in. So I was like, you know, call down to security and tell them to come up and do the safe. So I'm just sitting at the desk in my dressing gown. A minute or two later, the door goes. I answer the door. Two big guys are standing there. One of them looks at me and says, who the fuck are you? He goes, where's the other fella? And then they go, the guy that was just here, where's the other fella? And at that point, I just turned around and I yelled through to my wife, I go, we've been robbed. Juan Carlos had emptied the golds of their entire watch and jewellery collection. In the city that never sleeps, Juan had hit the jackpot. My philosophy, you know, in robberies, robberies can be violent. You know, when people invade your, your space, if you don't give them what they want, and even when you do give them what they want, it can be very bad. To me, you know, it's like having a car crash. People have car crashes and freak out. I go, it's only metal. It's only metal. You're fine. Who cares? You know, other people have a meltdown. I'm not. It's like, okay, you're fine. We'll get on with it. We'll deal with it. It's not, don't stress out over it. This was very much that same feeling. It's, you know, something's happened. Everybody's fine. Let's deal with it. So I wasn't actually at that time thinking about my wife's stuff. To me, everything's replaceable. A ring's a ring, a bracelet's a bracelet, a watch is a watch. You know, you have a watch, the watch got stolen, you buy another one. I mean, unless it's a one-off in the world and I don't have that type of stuff, there's another one. What I didn't appreciate when she was, when it was all going on was, you know, she had family things in there that her mother and her grandmother had given her that is irreplaceable because even if you buy the exact same thing again, it's not the same thing. So that's where there became a very big separation from my emotion over losing stuff to her emotion over losing stuff. You know, your wife loses her engagement ring, it's her engagement ring, it's her, or it's her mother's grandmother's necklace or something. You know, a man loses a Rolex watch, you buy another Rolex watch. 
While Daniel tried to compose himself and comfort his wife, down in the belly of the hotel, manager Robert was feeling the pressure. What happened? Who was the last one? Who gave him the key? Who opened the safe? Gosh, that's, that's when I, yeah, the hair, talking about the hair stand up. And you know, as a manager, I'm responsible. And being that it was directly me, just happened to be there at the front desk. I'm the one who gave him the key. I'm the one who took the ID. And it looked, it looked legit. I got angry because now you did it on my watch. You did it on my watch. Of course, I took it personally. I had a bad day. I went home and told my wife. And I was like, can't believe what happened today, hon. The security team at the Four Seasons Hotel called the cops. And it was Las Vegas detective Kirk Sullivan who was dispatched to the scene and immediately interviewed Daniel Gold. I'm lying on the couch. Everyone seems large when you're lying on a couch. And he just comes walking in and his... I remember it now, it was like a grey-green Hawaiian shirt, shorts, flip-flops, dark glasses, blonde hair. It's like a scene out of a TV show. I, I, you know, I'm the detective, I'm like, this, you know, you, you sort of take Vegas as a bit plasticky at the, at the best of times, so when you sort of have a you know, detective come along, I'm like, it doesn't feel very real to me. <laughs> you just go open-minded, you know, they've had a crime, let's go, let's go hear what it is. But as soon as they started telling, you know, the details of the crime, I knew that it, this is something different, this is something new. They were able to, to, to provide me with some motion video, not very much. So there's images of him doing that, leaning up on the desk, chatting with the p person across the desk, just comfortable and relaxed, like, I'm that guy, you know? I'm, <laughs> there was no pretense at all visible in his body language. Just, he was, he was that guy. Kirk didn't recognize the man in the footage, but he could see that he was tall and casually dressed. Nobody here had any clue who he was. More CCTV footage was collected from inside the hotel elevator from just after the robbery. Kirk showed the footage to Daniel. I remember sitting, we, you know, we were sort of sitting at the back of this, it felt like a triangular room and there's cameras everywhere and stuff and they're looking through tapes and stuff. And the first crazy thing that happens is the screen comes on with the elevator and it looks like me. I mean, when I say it looks like me, not looks like me as in you don't see the man's face, but he's wearing my clothes. He's literally wearing my standard outfit. He's got the baseball cap, the T-shirt, the shorts, the flip-flops. He's standing in the elevator. I'm like, wow. Checked himself, brushed his hair, looked in the mirror, and, you know, he just relaxed. You know, if there was ever a time when you're in the middle of com commission of a big crime like that, with the elevator doors closed, all alone, you could drop your shoulders and you'd see it and you'd go, man, I got away with that, you know? There was none of that. In that moment, Kirk realized that he was dealing with a different type of criminal. And the more I've heard about this story, the robbery of the golds, the more extraordinary it seems. Juan Carlos had found a weakness in the hotel He'd had the front to pose as a guest and the tools to prepare a fake ID. And he hadn't run out of the hotel. He hadn't fled. 
he'd calmly executed the crime and walked away with hundreds of thousands of dollars in jewellery. Not bad for a day's work. With a payoff like that, you wouldn't blame Juan Carlos for getting out of town as quickly as he could. But I'm quickly discovering that Juan's not like you or I. He decided to hang around. You know what? Walking around here, it's kind of like... I'm obviously not walking in Juan's footsteps, but in many ways I am. Like, there's... The Bellagio's just there, and then there's just everywhere, in all directions, you just... There's hotels, there's big, massive buildings. I mean, these hotels aren't hotels, they're massive, like, superstructures. Um, and it's kind of weird to sort of just do the hour that I've just walked up and down the strip and imagine him doing exactly the same thing, picking his next target, hanging around, watching the wealthiest people. Um, I can totally see how he did it here and completely blended in. But at the same time, once you're walking down here, if you know the police are looking for you, you're going to be looking over your shoulder all the time. Like, there's security guards everywhere, in every hotel. Um, it kind of baffles me that you wouldn't just do a crime and get the hell out of here fast. But like I say, Juan's different. Even though all of the hotels on the Strip were put on high alert, he thought there was an opportunity to gain more. And two days later, he struck again. Caesars Palace is another of the Strip's most famous and iconic hotels, a home for legendary artists to take up residency, and a hotel which also prided itself on security. In charge of policing that part of the Las Vegas Strip was Detective Russ Lee. I got a call from the hotel security. They, it, we get most of our calls from hotel security. Um, got a call from one of the hotel securities that said one of their guests, um, a, a headliner. Don't worry, we'll come back to this headliner in a minute. A, a headliner. Um, the room had a lot of cash in it, and somehow somebody gained entry to it. They showed me a video of a person who was walking through the hallway. What they found out he did was he went to a hotel room, said it's his hotel room, hasn't got a key, asked the, the maid to let him in, and the maid says, well, I can't let you in, so she calls security. Security went up, and they said, we can let you in, but you got to describe something that's in the room so we know it's you. He goes, I have black suitcases. And basically, that's what he said. They opened the door, saw some black suitcases, and they go, okay, it's your room. It was all too easy, like you wouldn't believe. At this point, Juan, it's hard to believe anything. But just listen to how the next part of the story plays out. Sound familiar? He was in there for a while. Uh, he, the safe was locked, but he wanted to get in the safe. So he called security by himself from the room and said, I forgot my combination to myself. Can you come open it? The operator sent someone from maintenance dressed in blue overalls, all full of stains, very old. They went up, they didn't check for ID, they asked for ID, he said it's in the safe. So they opened the safe for him, but they never checked any ID after that. They opened the safe and then left the room. So when the guest came back to the room, they noticed a couple hundred thousand dollars was missing from the safe in chips. It was like $10,000 in cash, and a number of chips worth $180,000. Probably in the in the 12 or 14 years I was in tourist crimes, this is the only one I've had like that, where somebody talked their way into a room 
and then talk themselves into a safe. That doesn't happen. Somebody has some big ones to, to, to try to do that. This time, it wasn't just the amount of money which prompted an immediate response. It was also the identity of his victim. The, the, it was a, a big headliner. You know, I can't say who it was. He was Celine Dion. Canadian icon Celine Dion. He actually robbed Celine Dion. We spoke to the guests. They don't want any police involvement. It's a letdown when you go there and you find out that the victim doesn't want to do anything. You want to be able to help them out and to protect everybody else that's getting in the hotels because it happens to one. It can happen to many. It's just, it's just disheartening when you find out they don't want to prosecute. News of that crime didn't break. It was all kept under wraps. But the police did gather CCTV of the mysterious robber making off with a pocket full of chips. The videotape just showed a guy walking down the hallway. And then the only other video I had was him cashing the chips in at the cage. And to be honest with you, the video wasn't really great. He's distinct enough to know that it's him. I mean, his hair and how tall he was, and you, you can tell those things, and he was thin. But if you walk down the street, probably not. If you see another videotape of him doing the same thing, you can go, yeah, this is the same guy. So the CCTV wasn't enough to identify Juan Carlos. But the details of the robbery did prompt officers to have a conversation. It was just a day or two later, uh, Detective uh, Russ Lee said, hey, hey, Kurt, didn't you have a guy that stole like a high dollar amount from a high profile guest at the hotel? I said, yeah, this is blah, blah, blah. This is what it was. And he said, well, I think it's the same guy here. Juan Carlos was working his way around Vegas as if he were invisible, and it was getting embarrassing for the city's police. But without a name, they'd need a stroke of luck to catch him. He's hit here, he's hit this hotel, he's hit this other hotel, he's just going to go right on down the strip, you know. If we, if we work hard, we'll catch him while he's still here. That was the hope. Of course, it didn't work out that way, but that was the hope to get him while he was here. In a city where everyone was praying for luck, it seemed the police had run out. Cops remained on high alert, but eventually, those robberies stopped. The thief, it appeared, had moved on. I went down and went to the hotel de Mandalay Bay. I lasted like four or five days there, and then I went to Japan, and then to Thailand. Russ, Kirk, Daniel, Robert, they all had to get back to their day jobs. But they all found it hard to shake the shadows the con man had cast on their patch. You don't forget it. It feels like, I said, a movie. And, no, I mean, you know, why it happened, you know, it's not, I, I don't think you can even begin to, the why is that, you have to ask him. I can't ask you why it happened. It just felt like, you know, catch me if you can. It was like, it was like, you know, the Leonardo DiCaprio movie. But there was a breakthrough. Kirk put together a poster with the CCTV images of his thief and a description of his crimes. And sure enough, an eagle-eyed security guard from the Four Seasons Hotel called Eric Williams, made a connection. I got a phone call at home from Eric Williams, and he said, hey, I remember this guy from a flyer, similar flyer, uh, from Paris, France, a couple of years ago. And that was, that was the fact of the matter. They, he had done the exact same thing in 2001. So it was 2003 here in Vegas, in 2001 in Paris, France, out of four seasons, he had done the same thing. And he remembered it. This wasn't the thief's first rodeo. In fact, thanks to that eagle-eyed security guard, 
Kirk Sullivan now knew that he was chasing an international criminal, though he still didn't have a name. But for Juan Carlos, the world was getting smaller. Word was starting to spread. Different police forces in different countries now had him in their sights. But all these years later, I couldn't help but wonder if Juan was back. Perhaps he was in Vegas right now. I mean, why not? As Juan says himself, it is the perfect place to be a thief. And as we walked around Vegas, Kirk told me he half expected to see Juan just wandering the strip. I would, I would say the odds are he's here more than, the, than he's not here. Um, this time, time of year, the weather is nice. Crowds are here. It's like you said when we first got together today, everything is bigger and brighter and just over the top here. It's like if you just, just picture one of those buildings, you look at it, it's like money's flowing off the top of it. It's just irresistible. If you're, if you're there to get money as much as possible with the least amount of effort, you're gonna come to Las Vegas. Everywhere I went, I kept an eye out, looking for this tall Latin American looking man that I've seen just a couple of pictures of. And in my pocket was a poster given to me by Kirk. It's called a bolo, or be on the lookout. At every hotel and casino I walked into, I showed it to security. Have you heard of a bolo? Do you know what a bolo is? A bolo? It means be on the lookout. It's a, a warning about someone that's wanted or oh, a yes, fugitive. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's what our security calls it. Okay. Yeah. So he's an international thief. Uh, the guy that I've sent you the details of, oh, I'll, I'll show you. I recognize him, do you, by any chance? I didn't know. Is there a security office anywhere here? Or uh, is this hotel concierge lobby? There is a security office, but what do you need? All right, so I'm, I've got a, a bolo. Oh, you have a bolo? Yeah. You recognize him? <laughs> no, what do you do? Uh, he's, well, a long time ago, he stole about $300,000 from the Four Seasons. Somewhere out there, Juan was walking around, likely up to no good. Hi, how you doing? Yes. Um, do you have a security office? I do. What's going on? Uh -huh. I have a bolo, which is a be on the lookout warning. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I didn't find him. But I guess that puts me in good company. So instead, I went back to following the breadcrumbs of Juan's life. And the next stop is London. Christian, Christian, I'm behind him. And I said, well, Andy, what the hell are you on about? He goes... I'm behind the Colombian guy, Juan Carlos. I'm behind him. It's definitely him. I'm sure it is. I like England, and I like it for making life impossible for those guys. And I said, are you sure it's not Cesar Ortigozo Vera? And he looked at me and went, no. And I said, oh, well, what about Gonzalo Zapata Vives? That was when the colour drained from his face, because he thought, oh, shit, he's, he's telling me all of my aliases. And I said, are you sure you're not Juan Carlos Guzman Betancourt? Con Juan is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Daryl Brown. The words of Juan Carlos are played by Vidal Sancho. Music is supplied by KPM Production Music and Universal. The executive producer is Sophie Ellis. And our consultant, the man who kicked off this journey, is former detective Christian Plowman. What's the Story Sounds is the home of great storytelling. If you want to listen to more What's the Story content, you can visit our website at whatsthestorysounds.com and you can subscribe to What's the Story Plus where you'll find ad-free content, bonus episodes, 
and you'll get exclusive access to episodes and series before anyone else. You can find all the details on Apple Podcasts.